Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome to this edition of Trash Talk with TK. I am TK Tom Kelly on a Wednesday afternoon, a week where... The Philly season has dramatically changed, and the outlook for this team has dramatically changed over the last few days. It has been a rough week, and, you know, it's one of those things where I have been very confident in this team so far this year, despite a lot of guys individually maybe underperforming. You know, Bryce Harper's had his struggles at times. Uh, Michael Franco, who's a guy I was really enthused about this year after a hot start, has really tapered off, unfortunately, the whole Adubo Herrera situation. Despite some of the individual struggles this team has had, bottom line is they were still in first place, still 10 games over 500 going into this road trip, and things were looking very, very positive for this team a week ago. And now... As we sit here a week later, June 5th, I feel differently about this team. Obviously, the big thing to happen this week, which is incredibly unfortunate for the player, incredibly unfortunate for the team, and really changes the outlook in a lot of ways for what the Phillies lineup can accomplish this year is the injury to Andrew McCutcheon. And you saw it at the time. You saw the play. Um which I'll get into a little later on. Ian Kinsler letting the ball drop. And McCutcheon getting in that rundown, you could tell the minute he went down, it's not good. I mean, non-contact injuries in any sport are not good. Very rarely do you see it in baseball. Very rarely do you see those kind of non-contact, you know, planting your foot in the ground, immediately guy grabs his knee. And I think everybody kind of thought at the time it's an ACL. Obviously, we were all hoping that was not the case. But when you see that kind of thing happen, that's the first thing that comes to your mind. We've seen it in other sports so many times. You see it in football constantly. And the way he was helped off the field, how gingerly he was walking was was scary. You hear after the game, Gabe comes out and says it's a knee sprain, which made me feel a little better. But then as Tuesday went on, and the fact that there was no update, at any point early in the day, we got to what, five, six o'clock Eastern time, and there was still no update on Andrew McCutcheon. That's where I started thinking this isn't good. Because if it was good news, they'd obviously want to get that out there and get out in front of it. If it's something bad, if it's something that is, you know, really a negative, they're going to sit on it and they're not going to be 
in a hurry to get out in front and, and let that known. And unfortunately, our our greatest fears came to pass when it was re- you know officially announced that Andrew McCutcheon is out for the year with a torn ACL. And I can't begin to describe how big a blow it is to this team. When you think about indispensable players on the Phillies roster, I think I was thinking about it. I probably have Andrew McCutcheon sixth sixth on that list. And he may be even higher than that. The only guys I would say are more important, other guys that you could not lose, I'd say Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins, JT Real Muto, Gene Segura, and Aaron Nola. And other than that, I think Andrew McCutcheon was the next most valuable guy on this team. And especially now with the Odubel Herrera situation, in the past week or so, this team has essentially lost two uh, two thirds of its starting outfield. You know, and I would not let this affect how I handle Odubel Herrera. I hope the Phillies don't. I don't think they will. You know, a serious a, a, a situation as serious as domestic abuse, domestic violence is not something you can change based on need. No, if Odubel Herrera, if it's determined that he was at fault, if he did do the things that are alleged. He should never play for the Phillies again. And and it doesn't matter this season. It doesn't matter, you know, how far the Phillies could go with or without Odubel Herrera. There are some things that go beyond baseball, and that's one of them. And Odubel Herrera, you know, I don't think if he is found guilty by Major League Baseball in their investigation, he'd never play for the Phillies again, bottom line. I don't think he will. Um, but the bottom line is now, you look at this roster, Without Odubel Herrera, without Andrew McCutcheon, and this team is woefully thin in the outfield. I was somebody who, over the weekend, I wasn't that enthused about the Jay Bruce deal. I didn't really believe that was something they needed to do because you still had McCutcheon. And I thought, okay, you can play Scott Kingery, you can play Nick Williams in left field, and you know, go with what you got for the next six to eight weeks and look to get somebody better at the deadline. Now, thankfully, they did make the trade for Jay Bruce because they need bodies out there. They bring Adam Hazley up from AAA. I know he's a a decent prospect who's done some nice things in the minor leagues. You don't know how that's going to translate to Major League Baseball. You're talking about a kid who's played, what, six games, even at the AAA level? And now you're asking to be your starting center fielder day in, day out? And he's going to have to because the Phillies don't have options for guys to play center field. Their only other guy who can even play that position right now is Scott Kingery, who is an infielder by trade. You know, a converted guy to center field, and he can do the job if needed, but he's not going to be great out there defensively. You know, we think about offensively, and offensively, it's a massive blow. Don't get me wrong. Andrew McCutcheon was your leadoff hitter. He was producing. He led the National League in walks was getting on base at a high clip, was hitting for power, hitting for average. Losing him offensively is a huge blow, but what hasn't been discussed enough is the loss defensively. I mean, you are losing so much in the field, and Andrew McCutcheon at this point in his career, he's not really a center fielder, but kind of had to based off, you know, the, the, the Herrera situation, the fact the Phillies didn't really have anybody else. And all of a sudden... You're down two-thirds of your starting outfield, and your everyday outfield is Bryce Harper, Adam Hazley, and Jay Bruce. That is not a good defensive outfield. You know, Adam Hazley 
we don't playing center field is one of the most difficult positions to play in baseball. You look at center field, shortstop, and catcher. They are the three most difficult positions to play on a baseball diamond. And you're asking this kid to come up, be worried about all that, and you're going to be asking him to produce because you're going to need production from him in the lineup as well. It's a lot of pressure. And it worries me. I mean, Jay Bruce, thankfully, you know, he was good last night, two homers, grand slam. And you're going to now need Jay Bruce to produce. And, and a veteran guy at this point in his career hitting career low in terms of average. Obviously, that's up a little bit after his hot start with the Phils. But I'm worried. And Matt Klintak is going to need to figure this out now. The Phillies cannot go the rest of the season with this order, with this batting lineup. You already got an issue at third base with Franco who hasn't produced. Kingery will play either third or center most days. But, man, all of a sudden, this lineup, which looked like two weeks ago, even though they were scuffling, had the potential to be one of the best in the National League when everybody's going. All of a sudden, this is a bit of a weak spot and not good for a team that was built on offense. This team was built in the offseason on outslugging people. They were not built on winning with pitching, and they haven't won with pitching. Their pitching's inconsistent. You look at the rotation. Nola's been down most of the year. He had a better May, but Aaron Nola hasn't lived up to expectations this year, no doubt. He's been a bit of a disappointment. Uh, Jake Arrieta is just a guy at this point. Zach Eflin, you know, he's been up and down. Missed the start. He'll be back. Jared Eikhoff, he's... Not nothing special. He's a fifth starter. You know, you don't have the arms right now. You don't have the bats. And I just don't know if this team as currently constituted is going to be able uh, to win this division anymore. And I, I was really positive a week ago. And I thought even, even after the series in LA when people were upset and people were you know, scared and worried about this team. I wasn't that concerned. I thought they'll be fine. They had a bad series. They'll get it together. But the McCutcheon injury changes so much. It is a massive loss for this team. And it's going to be incumbent on Matt Klintak to find a way to improve your roster for the next. And I'm telling you, I think the Philly season is going to be decided in the next six to eight weeks here. August and September are going to be a different story. I think they're going to add help. But the next six to eight weeks, you're going to have to go with this group that you have right now because teams are not ready to sell yet. I do think guys will become available at the deadline who you can pick up. I mean, and you're going to have to give up more now because I already thought you needed a starter, already thought you needed bullpen help. But now you also need a big bat in the outfield to go along with that. And I don't know who it's going to be. But the Phillies for the next six, seven weeks are going to have to rely on this group they have. And Adam Hazley's going to have to give them something. Jay Bruce is going to have to give them production. And I'm concerned. I'm concerned about whether they're going to be able to hang on and get this thing done. The Andrew McCutcheon injury, I'm telling you, it is really a killer for this team. And when you look at the McCutcheon injury, this is something I really wanted to address. The play itself which the narrative, the discussion surrounding the play has been very frustrating to me because I am so sick and tired 
of this old school, you know, archaic approach to where you got to hustle every play, 100% every play. These guys are making $10 million a year. I'm so tired of it. Shut up. Shut the hell up. I am so sick of it. So on that play, Andrew McCutcheon gets on base. Gene Segura pops the ball up, slips out, drops to a knee. The ball is popped up. Kinsler lets it drop, which, first of all, I think that was bushly. I tweeted it out last night. I know a lot of people, oh, Chase Utley would have done the same thing. You know, people saying I'm soft, whatever. People don't do that in Major League Baseball. Like, dude, catch the ball. Seriously. It led to a chaotic play, a scramble play, where, you know, I felt like there was a level of awkwardness on that play that led to Andrew McCutcheon getting injured. Now, in the end, is it, you know, Ian Kinsler's fault? Of course not. That, that No, it's not Ian Kinsler's fault. I just thought on the play, like, what are we playing? Little League, catch the ball, move on. But the amount of people who were blaming Gene Segura, screaming about Gene Segura not busting it down the line. Gene Segura plays every day. Gene Segura plays one of the most taxing positions in all of baseball. Every day. Has done a hell of a job. People don't understand how physically demanding the shortstop position is. You are covering so much ground. You are sacrificing your body constantly. And for him to pop up, slip, and okay, he doesn't bust it down the line one play. The amount of people freaking out over that. The outrage. I mean, I just want these people to shut up. It is so frustrating. I know know the way it used to be. This isn't the 1970s, okay? It's just not. It's just not. Get over it. And if I have to hear one more person say, if I was out there, if I was making $10 million, well, you're not. Okay? You're not. You're sitting on your couch. You don't understand how these players feel. Am I saying that it's okay to not, not to give effort on the field? No. But just because a guy doesn't run 100% down the line one time, and now people want to blame him for his teammate getting injured, give me a break. Like, dude, it it's not it's not the old days. It's not the good old days with Pete Rose, you know, busting it down the line. That's not the way it is anymore, man. It doesn't mean guys don't play hard. You know, the, the fact that people now saying Gene Segura doesn't play hard. Gene Segura is not giving effort. It's ridiculous. He plays one of the most taxing positions in sports. Plays every day. People don't understand. Playing every day in Major League Baseball, the toll that takes on your body. You know? And just because guy doesn't bust it one time, people freaking out. I'm so sick of these sports. I'm so sick of the way some people look at sports. And some people look at the way guys play. It doesn't mean you're not giving effort. Just because a guy doesn't bust it one time. Give me a break. Get over it. And I know the old school guys, they love the, you know, the, the, the 60s and the 70s, day when it was when real athletes were out there. Well, if you don't like the way the game's played today, I mean, don't watch. It, it's ridiculous. Just because Segura doesn't bust it one time, people are, are vilifying this guy. It's, the, it's literally one of the dumbest things I've seen. 
And I'm so tired of hearing that viewpoint. Yeah, he should have run. You know, he slipped on the play. He thought it was going to be a, a, a pop out. And if he did, nobody would have said anything about it. So I'm just so tired of that narrative. It's so frustrating to me. And I think, you know, that line of thinking needs to go away. It's just so irritating to me. I'm so tired of it. Now, before we get out of here, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the NBA right now. NBA Finals Game 3 tonight between the Raptors and the Warriors. I'm kind of surprised. I thought this was going to be the game that KD was going to return. I did. I thought Kevin Durant, I thought it was setting up the entire series for Golden State, play their two on the road, um, get Kevin Durant back for game three. Maybe that would have been the case had they lost game two. Maybe he would have tried to force his way out there. I have trouble believing that this whole series is going to go by without Kevin Durant playing. I really do, but he's been ruled out, not going to play game three. Apparently, Clay Thompson will play. Durant not playing, honestly, makes it more interesting. Um, and I, I find this series to be fascinating. I think the first two games have been really good. Um, Toronto took it to them in game one. Fred Van Vliet for, for the Raptors has been incredible off the bench, which is amazing because you remember watching back that Sixers series, Fred Van Vliet was terrible against the Sixers. Absolutely putrid. And he has stepped up and he's been fantastic. First in the Eastern Conference Finals, now in the NBA Finals. Uh, but series tied at one. Um, the Clay Thompson thing is really, you know, a major issue that I don't think enough people are talking about. I mean, if he's not 100%, that's a huge blow. Clay Thompson, to me, is the most underrated player in the NBA. He is. Hey, everybody talks about. Kevin Durant, everybody talks about Steph Curry. Not a lot of people give enough credit to Klay Thompson. Klay Thompson is the unsung, you know, possible hero of that team. He is great defensively, makes big shots, does everything they ask him to do. Klay Thompson is the guy for years who I have hoped and prayed would become available because I think with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, I'm not sure there's a better fit in the NBA than Clay Thompson on this team. Maybe Kawhi, but uh, you know those two, I think, f- would fit better with Embiid and Simmons than anybody else in the league. Unfortunately, I don't think Clay's going to become available. There was a report from, you know, I'm not sure if this account is is, is legit um, on Twitter. I think it was Hoop Central. They said that if Kawhi is not immediately offered a max, he would at least listen. And if that's the case you know, he should be one of the Sixers' first calls. I would prefer to sign Clay Thompson than, than bring back Jimmy Butler. But, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. I think in the end, Golden State is going to retain Clay. I think they'll keep Clay. I think they'll keep Draymond. I think they'll keep Steph. And I think Kevin Durant will go elsewhere, and they'll go back to kind of the way it used to be in Golden State, and they'll build around those three and try to keep it going without KD. But, man, Clay Thompson's a huge deal, and he was huge for them in Game 2. Golden State had a lot of trouble scoring once he went out of the game. You saw Nick Nurse and Toronto go to a really interesting approach where they were pretty much playing a box and one, which you will very rarely see in the NBA, where they're playing pretty much a a, a defense where they're boxing it out. They're, they're pretty much letting anybody with Golden State shoot from 15 feet out, and they're just hounding Steph Curry, not letting Steph touch the ball. And if Clay's not at 100% and he can't play as many minutes, 
I think you're going to see a similar defensive approach from the Raptors tonight. Um, I think Golden State wins the series. I think Golden State wins the series probably in six games. I thought maybe it could be five. If Durant came back in game three, I thought it could be a five-gamer. Because once Durant's back out there, I just think the Warriors are just too much for this Raptor team. As great as Kawhi is, as great as Kawhi has been, that amount of firepower I think would just be too much for the Raptors to overcome. But the fact Durant's not playing keeps the door open. I mean, the Raptors, if they can get this game tonight, go up 2-1, to one, Game 4 would become absolutely massive on Friday. I think tonight, I think the Warriors win it. Game 4, you know, you have to, it's hard to predict the rest of the series without seeing it game to game and without knowing who's going to win. But in the end, I do think the Warriors win the series probably in six. Regardless of how it works out, the Warriors are probably up 3-2 after five, and I can't foresee a scenario where they could close it out in Oracle and not do it. Like, I just don't see that happening. You know, where they would let Toronto win on their floor, go back to Toronto for a game seven. I couldn't foresee that happening. So I think the Warriors end up winning the series. I think they end up winning it in six. But I'm fascinated by this finals. I think the first two games have been really good. I mean, the Raptors, man, at halftime of game two, it looked like it was their series. And then they came out in the third quarter where I've noticed this the first two games of this series. And you kind of noticed it in game seven against the Sixers. There is something going on at that stadium. I know this happens a lot of places, but it seems even more in Toronto where you'll look around at the start of the second half. Nobody's in their seats. I don't know if it's concession lines or a bathroom situation, but it affects the way the Raptors come out to start these third quarters. It affected them the other night in game two. There was no energy in that building. The Warriors took advantage. And that's where they got back in the game right there. You saw game seven against the Sixers. The Sixers made a big run in the early stages of that third quarter. I believe Sixers went on like a 15 or 16 nothing run that put them up seven or eight. And it really got the Sixers back in that game. Unfortunately, they weren't able to hold it. But there is something going on in that stadium in Toronto where people are not back in their seats to start the second half. It is bizarre. But it's been a good series so far. I'm really interested to see how it plays out. Now, when you look at the rest of the league here, I've been saying it for a while. This free agency period this summer, this summer in the NBA is going to be one of the craziest off seasons we've ever seen in any sport. Reports over the weekend, the Sixers are willing to offer Jimmy Butler the full max. I don't really know what other option they have unless you can get a Kawhi or a Clay to come. And that's what I've been saying the whole time. My first two calls in free agency would be Kawhi Leonard and Clay Thompson. They'd be my first two calls. You'd have to judge really quickly whether that's a realistic possibility. And if it's not, you got to go give Jimmy Butler the full max. I know people don't want to pay him in the fourth or fifth year, but you're not looking down the road at this point. You are looking at right now. Hell, you were in game seven. You lost on the final shot of game seven against a team that is tied at one in the finals right now. And I know people say, oh, you can't look at it like that. I will look at it like that because I'm telling you, the Sixers would have beaten the Milwaukee Bucks. I said it going into the playoffs. I feel even more confident about it now. The Sixers would have beaten Milwaukee in a series. They matched up better. I wanted the Sixers to fall to the four seed at the end of the regular season. 
because I thought a, a, a path of Indiana Milwaukee was preferable to the path the Sixers ended up traveling, which was Brooklyn Toronto. I think the Sixers would have beaten Milwaukee. I thought they matched up better. I thought they proved that in the final two matchups of the regular season, where they beat the Bucks in Milwaukee. They lost the Bucks here in a game where they should have won, and they were without Jimmy Butler. The Sixers would have won that series, and who knows? I think the Sixers would have had some very interesting matchup issues uh, presenting Golden State. I don't know. How could Golden State have dealt with Joel Embiid when the only big they have underneath is, you know, a DeMarcus Cousins who is less than 100%. You know, okay, they could use Andrew Bogut. Andrew Bogut probably takes six fouls, be fouled out in eight minutes against Joel Embiid especially with this injury now to Kevon, Kevon Looney, they would have had no way to play Embiid. Embiid would have dominated this series. So I, I think the Sixers, when you look at how close they are, you got to bring that back Jimmy. Unless you're going to get a Kawhi or a Clay Thompson, you need to run it back with Jimmy Butler. I don't know about Tobias Harris. I'm less enthused about him. I would be more um, kind of... Uh, skeptical about re-signing Tobias Harris because, man, I he's one of those weird players where there's a reason he's been traded so many times. It's not that he's not good. He is good. That's why he is traded a lot because he's got value to teams. But at the same time, teams aren't dying to hold on to him. Like you look at the look at the most recent you know time he was traded before being traded to the Sixers when he's traded by Detroit to the Clippers. Not good enough. For Detroit to hold on to him at all costs, but also at the same time, good enough to be the main piece in a deal to get Detroit a guy like Blake Griffin, who is a, a star or a borderline star. So I think it depends on the price for Tobias Harris. I'd have trouble paying him more than, than $18 million. I mean, I wonder what, what else you could do with that money elsewhere, you know? And that trade, more than the Jimmy Butler trade, the Tobias Harris trade is the one that really bothers me. And it's the one I wish the Sixers would have not made. Would they have gotten as far as they got this year? I don't know. But I do feel like they'd be set up better for the future had they not traded, you know, the guys they traded for Tobias Harris. You look at the Butler trade. You give up Covington and Sarge. Dario Sarge had a bad year in Minnesota. Dario Sarge was a guy because of the personality we overrated here. Dario's a nice player, but Dario's a bench guy. He was our starting power forward. That's not what he is. He's a good bench player. And who knows? I, I think the Dario thing's interesting because he has one year left on his deal. If he has another down year, you could get him as a at a bargain as a bench guy potentially next offseason. There's no doubt in my mind Dario Sarge would come back to Philadelphia in a second. He loved his time here. And if, if the market's not out there for him and he's affordable, I could see the Sixers bringing him back. But, you know, the, him and Covington, Covington is a good player, but he's a role player. He's not, you know, uh, as good as a lot of people make him out to be. And to get Jimmy Butler in return for that and what Jimmy Butler was able to provide and give to this team was well worth it. Because I think Jimmy Butler will be back, and I thought it was worth it for this year. I do. I think that trade was a good one. But the Tobias Harris one, I struggle with. I really do. Landry Shamit is going to be a good player in this league. Landry Shamit played well here. Landry Shamit played really well when he went to L.A. to play for the Clippers. 
He is he could have been your JJ Redick replacement. There you had your JJ Redick replacement right here who's going to improve, going to get better in all facets of the game. And giving up Landry Shamit was a big loss. You know, you might laugh, but giving up a guy like a Mike Muscala, who you look at what happened to the Sixers in that Toronto series, Mike Muscala could have played a valuable role as a backup center in that series. Problem was in that series, Sixers had nobody, no backup center that could come in and play the perimeter. You had Monroe, you had Boban. These guys weren't weren't suited to do that. Brett Brown obviously had no trust in Jonah Bolden. Muscala could have provided you something in that series, could have stretched the floor off the bench and could have guarded a Gasol at the perimeter. So I, I, looking back and what Tobias Harris gave you and what you gave up, I struggle with that deal. And I don't think it was a great one. And we'll see what happens this offseason, but it, Sixers are an inter- interesting spot. In the end, I think Jimmy Butler will be back. Tobias Harris, I'm less sure of, but you got to make a call to collect to Clay, you got to make a call to Kawhi. You got to make a call to KD. You got to swing big. Do I think they're going to get any of those guys? Probably not. But at least you know you have an appealing situation. And last offseason, Brett Brown made the star hunting comments that a lot of people mocked. But I hope they keep that mentality. You need to constantly be on the lookout to creatively get better because this team's window is now. It's not about the future. I know when Bean Simmons are young, they're going to be around for a while, but this team's future is right now. They need to seize this opportunity right now and go for it right now. They got to find a way to strike big this free agency period. And if it's bringing back Jimmy Butler, that's what you got to do. You can't worry about the fourth, fifth year of that deal. You'll worry about that down the line. You need to bring back Jimmy Butler if you can't get one of those top guys. No choice. And I'll do it for Trash Talk with TK. Not on the air on WIP this weekend. I'll be back with you next week. Next week, I believe we're going to have another TV show pod for you. Uh, We did the Game of Thrones um, pod throughout the season. I think we might be reviewing uh, Chernobyl next week. So uh, I'll tweet out a link from that from the Trash Talk with TK feed as we talk about that television show on HBO. Thanks Thanks to all you guys for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.